today's episode of Agile After Dark, we take a swing at doing our first online interview with the smoothest and coolest tech coach we know. From getting teams at the highest levels of group development through pair programming to trucking through the barriers of getting teams to be cross-functional, it was a good day and night to have a rockin' podcast we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Agile After Dark, the podcast that addresses agile topics not talked about in the light of day. I'm your host, Greg Adams Whitford, sitting here, and over there is our co-host, Brandon Gartley, and resident nerd. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm a nerd. I'll take it. Okay. Well, today's episode is kind of an... Uh, I think you're excited about it, Brandon. I am very excited because, you know, we're trying something a little different. You may be able to hear it already. The audio is a little different. We got, uh, we got a remote guest. I like to say, because they're remote... And he lives in Texas. It's kind of like uh, Houston. We got a problem. We're in Apollo 13. Okay. Apollo 13 He's Studios. He's in Austin, but it's close enough. That's right. Apollo 13 close Studios. Yeah. Undergoing renovations to support remote guests. I think that's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And today, our special guest, which we have done all of this technological work, you could see if you could see the table <laughs> and the amount of cables, and we actually don't even know how it's working, <laughs> that's true. to be honest with you. But it's somehow we think it's working, but we've... Well, we could lose another podcast. We could, as <laughs> we, we did in the first four. one. That's right. So, but it seems to be working so far, just like Apollo 13 didn't quite make it to the moon, but we think we can at least get back to Earth. We've got a special guest, Regender Tella, who I have been working with for over, I think, oh, at least 10 years, if not over that. And Regender and I had worked um, at a company who did a major transformation before it was called Transformation. Um, and Work from everything from product management with senior staff all the way down to the team level and did things that upon reflection, uh, we looked at and we thought we weren't very good at it when we were doing it back then. But when we look at it now, we were actually pretty good at it, Regender. Would you agree? That, that's very true. I, I still haven't come across a team that's doing what we were doing 10 years ago. So, yeah. And. Yeah. And Regender's special specialty really is kind of on the technical side, the CD, CI, you know, all of those kinds of things. Yeah, I like to call him the Billy D. Williams of tech coaches. Oh yeah, baby. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's the Lando Calrissian of CD and CI. So we we welcome you, Regender. We're really happy to have you on the show, and um, we're I think this conversation is going to be really good. Uh, the episode is called Cross Function: The Malfunction pair up or go down, and it really is about pair programming, which I've got some concerns about, but I'm going to let Brandon start yeah. off with his nerd okay. dumb, yeah. and we'll start up there, and we'll yeah. see where, where we yeah. get. Well, you know, I think uh, we want to make sure we touch on touch base on a couple things, right, which is you know, the problem teams run into with being siloed as a team, as a team against other teams, and also within the teams. And then also we want to discuss in specifics how we, we as coaches uh, can help teams overcome their problems in this area. And I say we as coaches, I mean gender, can help because uh, <laughs> I'm certainly not the best person to do that. But before we get into to those two topics, I did kind of want to set the table, Greg. Okay? Yeah. yeah. Here okay. we go. I think I'm going to do Here it. Here we go. I'm do Nerd it. alert. We need to have a, a like a sound bit for that because it's some version know, of nerd. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. Sure. All right. Get the life nerd. I mean, as we're talking about kind of more advanced concepts within, within Agile, kind of this cross-functional um, teams and so forth, you know, we're kind of, that's a little bit of a step above just the, the basics of it, right? Um, I want to just kind of set the table by really getting into discussing like group development 
uh, and how we see where teams are from an agile perspective and how that relates to the area of study and psychology. Um, uh, and the group development really received a lot of attention after the Second World War and before the 60s. But then after that, the focus in research was really uh, on the individual instead of groups, which actually doesn't surprise me very much. Um, the start of human factors research in software engineering, engineering is also mostly focused on individuals uh, and their personality traits for like the last 40 years. Those kind of went hand in hand, kind of like looking at the individuals versus kind of as groups. Uh, but then as group development stuff has uh, come together, um, a few different models emerged. Um, and then a few researchers uh, started to aggregate those models into a general group development model. Uh, the first ones to do it were um, Tuckman and Jensen in the 70s. Um, and they had kind of these phases of, you'll like this, Greg, forming, storming, norming, and performing. Hmm, sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but in the 90s, uh, Susan Whelan, uh, is the prominent psychologist, did a similar aggregation of the existing models, so kind of updated and look at it. That resulted in what's called the Integrated Model of Group Development, or IMGD. Um, and to kind of like kind of understand how you measure the different uh, progress in the groups that she put together, she created a group development questionnaire, or the GDQ, uh, to measure how much energy the group is spending on each of the development stages. Um, that that uh, survey has 60 questions, uh, and it's kind of, it's, it's actually proven out fairly well. So teams that have high scores uh, that fall into like the last stage, I'll describe in a second, um, you know, finish a, a project faster. So students perform better on tests if faculty scores high on the GDQ. Uh, intensive care staff uh, save more lives in surgery, for instance, if they, you know, score high on as well. Um, but the, the four main phases within that, and it kind of when we get towards the, the, the last one, it's kind of interesting. Um, the first one is dependency inclusion. So at this stage, there's a lack of feeling of belonging to a group. But after people start feeling safe enough to state their ideas and contribute to how they think the group should work in order to achieve its goals, they are kind of like starting to move into the next phase, which is counter dependency and fight, like the fight. <laughs> Fighting within teams, right? Group members uh, and that have... Is that like Jack O'Leary fight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, there's a story behind that. They'll have to come out at some point. Uh, but the group members have to go through a turbulent stage in order to build trust, right? I think we've seen this uh, with teams on a regular basis. But after they feel safe and therefore daring to have these conflicts, they kind of have a sense of loyalty that emerges, right? Well, what kind of conflicts are you talking about exactly? Uh, you know, it's kind of the concept of uh, after the first phase, they feel like they can start speaking up, right? But then they may have disagreements on, it could be approach, it could be, hey, this is my work, not yours, right? And so that's kind of where that, that is that kind of fight, because then it leads yeah. to the next which is trust and structure. So, um, so at this stage, the leader's role goes from needing to have been more directive to be more consultative, right? So this is where I kind of get that, you know, um, the leadership stuff that we talk about on a regular basis. The communication structure is also more flexible. So the content of communication is more task related versus relation oriented, right? So you're starting to get into, let's just figure out the work rather than trying to figure each other out. Um, conflicts still occur, right? But, you know, they're over much faster uh, since the, the group can communicate. Um, and work satisfaction and cooperation increases together with that cohesion and trust. And then the commitment of the group is higher. So you're really kind of starting to see what we kind of see, right? In teams. But then you kind of get in what is the top, you know, level for for this this measurement that uh, that Wheeling came up with. It's called work and productivity. Surprise, surprise. So the team focuses on getting the task done well together, 
as well as maintaining group cohesion over a long period of time. And people in such high-performing teams often look at their work environment uh, with excitement and joy and getting work done is easy and members have a feeling of being a part of a, like the best team ever, right? You know, when we see those really high-functioning teams. But the, the most important part, kind of like as we get into the stuff that we're talking about today, the challenge in this stage is to maintain the effectiveness that they've reached, right? And the most effective groups don't discuss task-related issues 100% of the time, actually still spend about 20% discussing how to work together, right? So I think that kind of is going to kind of get into some of the cross-function. The last part that I want to get into, because I thought this was really cool. Um, well, hurry up, because I'm about to fall asleep. I know. I'm going to ask you to summarize <laughs> yeah. in a second. Yeah. So. Some researchers from Sweden and Brazil, um, Bren, Torkar, and Felt, uh, attempted a psychological experiment to see if there is a correlation between agile and group development with a hypothesis that agility measurement has significant convergent validity with regards to group development and measurement. And I won't get into the specifics of the whole thing. It will post it on Agile After Dark, so you can check it out if you want. But they found that they are indeed correlated. But it's kind of like a chicken and egg sort of thing. It's really interesting because agile methods are probably harder to implement in new teams than traditional methods. But agility causes groups to mature, and mature groups are needed to have agility. It's right. because is it because the the perceived structure of the sort of traditional way of thinking makes people more comfortable as opposed to hey you guys got to figure it out? Is that kind of what you're getting? Yeah, at? you know the study that I thought was interesting is they kind of felt like okay, well if there's teams that are agile, then they're going to automatically fit in that last category of work and productivity. But I think what they found is any sort of new team, they're going to have to go through some of these stages. But I think what they're kind of saying is the causality is that agility kind of, the agile kind of accelerates some of these things, which in a, you know, a more traditional sort of business setting would have taken a lot of time. Like right. you don't have that team to have that conflict, right? Yeah. And, you know, we see that with teams, right? So if, if, I'm, if I'm working with a team and coaching them on doing incremental planning, it's a practice. But if the team members don't know how to work with each other or how to collaborate, it, it, I, I can't I can't coach them on doing an incremental planning. I think I got to I got to step back and fix that, focus on that group collaboration thing. I, I think that that research is totally spot on, right? You got to have a, a team that knows how to work with each other before we actually start implementing uh, a framework or a new process or a new practice. Yeah. So I fell asleep about halfway through. So can you sum up for us that? Because I, I do actually think, yeah. again, when I was paying attention, that was interesting. So can you sum up kind of what yeah. those stages are and kind of what it means to us? Yeah. And I think, you know, because it's this integrated model of group development. So IMGDD. And there is a survey questionnaire with 60 questions to kind of evaluate where teams are. And I thought it was interesting that there was a lot of those things going from dependency and inclusion to counter-dependency and fight, trust and structure, and then work and productivity are a lot of things that, you know, when I say to someone, hey, have you ever seen an agile team that really has it? All of those things that they had in the work and productivity, that last thing, all of those things rang true to me, mm -hmm. you know. But for some of the things that they're, you know, kind of struggling with, particularly at the beginning where they're just like, I have his opinion, you have his opinion, we need to figure out how we can actually communicate. I think it's it's interesting from an agile perspective because, um, again, I kind of mentioned it, is that I think if you're really kind of pushing teams and saying, like, just keep with it, keep going, that you'll start moving through those phases faster than you would have in kind of a more traditional, you know, environment. 
And the reason I bring it up in terms of the, the cross-functional stuff is because you kind of have to reach almost that last part to really, you know, start to really kind of say, okay, I'm willing to let go, right? I'm willing to let go of the things that, you know, because a lot of times the cross-functional teams, and we'll get into this a little bit later, right? But a lot of things that I see when we start, first start talking about, you know, pair program, any sort of cross-functional work between teams, they're like, well, I'm judged as an individual. That's what my performance is on. So you're telling me to let go of something that I know the best and have someone else start doing that. And, and in, at the same time, you're asking me to learn something else. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of and it, it's interesting to me because I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if we could take this questionnaire and kind of take it to our teams and see kind of where they are on those scales. Right. And, you know, from when we first start with them, maybe to where they are at the end, because we have like these agile maturity things and stuff like that, which I think have a lot of value. Um, but you know, there, there's other studies that I saw that was around this, which basically said, uh, well, if you look, look at agility against that, and in fact, there's another study that they did that was basically saying, well, if we tell them about, uh, we have a control group that we tell about this integrated model of group development and other ones we don't and see kind of, you know, if they're aware of that and like after a two hour kind of discussion, if that makes a difference, it didn't really, except for, uh, in retrospectives and customer acceptance tests, interestingly enough, but I'm not surprised about the retrospectives piece. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, but anyway, so that I kind of wanted to set the table and kinds of as we're talking through these things, we can kind of maybe like look back and say, well, where, you know, if we're, if our team's at this level, then what sort of you know challenges do we have at you know, kind of introducing some of these ideas? Well, and I think for me, if you take the less pedantic route on this conversation, <laughs> uh, which I used earlier in the car, in the in the I'm impressed with the word choice, though. Um, it really boils down to, to to echo what Regender said is that this is a human problem to solve first to getting people to trust, getting the teams to the point where they can actually have a conversation that potentially feels uh, negative, but that is required to get work done because there's never going to be again. This is what I always say at home. Your kids never do what they say they're going to do and your vacation gets ruined because something happens and your garage door doesn't open one morning and you have to get your car fixed or whatever, you get a flat tire. And that's just the human condition. When we come to work, we think, well, everything should just work robotically at work. And so we treat it differently, but really work is just a whole bunch of humans trying to get things done. It's like, no different. Kids can like bust through the door right now. And like, right now. This podcast. <laughs> and we're watching to make sure that doesn't happen. So we, we know that that might happen at any point in time. And because of the technological advances of Apollo 13 studios, we can see him. So we will know when that happens. Right. So, so I think that that sums that up pretty well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think we wanted to kind of transition to Greg into, you know, what I you know introduced is kind of, some of the challenges that we're facing, right? Well, I think, you know, for me, at being the, what, how have I been labeled at, so far in the 10 episodes or so we have? I've been a finance guy, you've been a, you've been a communist, communist at one uh, point. EVP of being a dick. Uh, yeah, that's also uh, one of them. So I've got a number of hats I'm wearing. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty diverse, if yeah. we we're going to be honest about it. Yeah, they kind of all but have some similar ties. If you do come from a business perspective, you know, and we'll, we'll get into more of this later, but it is, you know, pair programming, what you're going to have this one person doing, you know, this work, but you're going to have another person added to it to do the same amount of work. So aren't you just completely wasting 50% of capacity? And 
So that's one question that a business person is going to ask. Like, what are you doing? What's this pair programming crap? Like, you're, you're wasting 50% of capacity if you have two people working on the same thing. Secondly is, how do you get a team to be able to not specialize, but to focus on the whole team being successful and completing work, regardless of what comes at that team? The, 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 as a business person, what I want is a team that can produce anything. Like, I can make them build spreadsheets, I can make them build process, I can make them do software, but a well-functioning team can t- tackle any problem. And that's as a business person, what I want to build is a capable team. So you have this concept of component teams, which are specialized teams. And sometimes if it's a DBA or you know, like specific to testing, there are just certain ways their people's brains are wired a certain way and DBAs are weird and good test people are weird. They're just, they're good at what they do because they're wired a certain way. But you want to try to minimize those things because they're typically very expensive. They're typically very focused. And so you want to like make sure that you have the, you know, teams that can focus on solving a business problem and delivering it. Right. You thought I'd talk long. You just, you just talked like 45 minutes. Good. And now, right. you research stories long. start before 1945. <laughs> Everything you do starts at like 1940. Well, in 1940, like that makes it better. Like I don't get, so don't get on my case. No, because we have to like talk about where we Good came day, from. sir. Good I day. Good day. <laughs> so anyway, Regenerator, kind of along those lines. I mean, I, I know you probably run into this is, you know, the siloing of teams, you know, it's coming out of waterfall. I think it's, you know, understandable, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, some of the things that, you know, with that first transition, and we'll start to get after the break, I think we'll kind of get into some of the specifics of how we attack it. But what are some of the things that you've observed? <laughs> you both talk long, just so you know. <laughs> how dare you? I said good day. <laughs> so, you know, we what the typical pattern is if they're first time going through going through a change coming from waterfall to an agile you know they're put together as a team they do they do two weeks planning but when it comes to execution on their sprint plan right everybody grabs a story and runs with it right and no they don't talk to each other at all right this is my story this is my here's my another story right we both are working on we working on it independently and come back on day eight or day nine they finish their code and it's like oh you know meeting with the accept uh, uh, product owner to accept the story right that's that's very typical that we see in the beginning right so i, I think you know as we talk about cross-functional there are several techniques that helps ensure how we make the whole team work collaboratively together yeah and it's kind of interesting you know to both of you now that I've simmered down a little bit, uh, you know, I'm kind of curious about, you know, the the teams when they're they're kind of coming in. I, I mentioned a little bit earlier about how, you know, I'm being evaluated as an individual on an annual basis based on how many widgets I've created. I mean, it's fairly basic, right? But you know, that that still has to change. But even if that's not the case, now you're putting me on this team with these people that maybe don't know as much as I do in a particular area, but I don't know as much as they do, and you know what, that's fine because I don't, I spent so much time learning this, you know, whether it's, you know, this sort of language or, or what have you. I mean, what are, what are some of the things that, and just from a, not from a, you know, let's get people, but like the conversation that you guys have had with those sort of teams to kind of say, okay, you know, I get it, but you know, what's, you know, here's the the value out of what we're trying to achieve. 
Well, I think that people, if you ex- if you express that concept to them in an abstract way, they're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. And then when you start to have them that sort out the like work, cross-functional, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, it's like, yeah, that makes sense as a team. Especially the manager gets it. The manager's like, oh yeah, exactly. That's what. That's definitely what we're getting needed to do. And then the team looks at it and they're like, yeah, I. It makes sense, but I don't know how it's going to happen. Part of it is driven through just their own personal career path, HR stuff that we talked about in past episodes, right? It's, it's that you're leading them down a path and they feel like, oh, well, if I just am just, a, you know, doing everything, then I'm not going to be known for anything, right? Well, it's interesting that you say the manager says it makes sense, but then they're like, I need to get this thing by this date. Oh, yeah. Well, but, but that's the way it is. And then, again, the team also thinks, yeah, it, it makes total sense on paper, but when you have to start breaking the work down and you have mainframe people trying to learn Java and then Java people, I'm not learning mainframe. Mainframe's like old. Well, you know what? There's a lot of mainframe and they ain't going nowhere anytime soon. So you just better get on board with that. And you probably should learn what that technology was. And so, you know, I think that, again, it's just it's, it becomes more of a personal path issue. I mean, Regender, as someone that's gone through kind of the, the technical spectrum, right, of learning a variety of things. I mean, what, what was kind of like that journey for you in terms of, you know, you, you learned a kind of a specific thing, but then kind of kept growing. Was that because you just individually did that or is it, you know, you were part of teams? I don't even know, to be honest with you. Yeah, so you know, it it depends on the it depends on the attitude, right? It you know, this stuff is hard. When we said, okay, I've been I've known as this rock star developer, and then my organization, you know, I'm this principal developer. Everybody comes to me as a, uh, you know, the go-to guy for you know latest things on Java or you know Spring Framework or whatever that is, right? And now I'm put on this team, and now you're asking me to be the team member, right? You're, you know, they don't look at me as a principal developer. They don't look at me as a uh, the decision maker for the team, right? I'm part of the team. I have to, you know, you're asking me to, you know, put my title at the door, right? It's, it's hard. Um, you know, it takes time. Um, it takes time to realize what the journey looks like. And it also, it's not just the individual, but also the ecosystem, right? The leadership has to start embracing, hey, you know, we still have these levels or grades that we have to honor in the HR system to, you know, pay grade and promotions and stuff, right? But mm-hmm. when it comes to the 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 team based performance, right? You are part of the member, and um, how you how you evolve your role into that. I mean, personally for me, I started as a Java developer, right? Yeah. I I worked with uh, majority of the time. Um, working for educational companies, right? Building learning management systems and content management systems, right? And then there's this thing called Agile and, you know, this person here uh, said, hey, we got to do Agile. Um, <laughs> who was that? Who said, who, who, who I don't know. Uh, I, I will say, though, to Regender, to, to your, you're reminding me about something, too, that remember the transition that we went to having, no, we had, Essentially, the development managers, which was a path, right? I'm a development manager, and we had a, a hierarchy of CTO down who was very focused on that. And then when we actually went to a real agile-based model where the, the 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 managers of the technology team didn't have teams reporting into them, they just really were HR managers. Remember, that was a hard transition. Do you remember? Yeah, I, totally. I can't forget at all, right? This is... You know, I was a developer. What you did to him. 
<laughs> the, then a scrum master, and then I was crazy to like I I wanted to get into management, and I thought you know going to an MBA was the only way to get into management, right? This is way back when, and then I got my MBA and learned. You fell into that trap too, huh? Yeah, <laughs> totally. But no student debt. Uh, uh, but um, and then learned how to how to be a manager in corporate America and come to work. And then here we are going through the transformation, right? Just become a fresh manager and trying to manage people, manage work. And then um, and then the organization says, you know what? We have self-organizing teams. So I had to unlearn majority of what I learned in the business school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then I started picking up coaching and you know totally like the engineering managers, which which was which is what I was doing at that time, became you know very thin layer of administrative work and majority is coaching the teams on you know how to how to maintain good C I C D practices, how to how to improve their craftsmanship, right? And that was an eye opener, right? Um, and then but it's it's again, you know, depending on the individuals and how they see the progression on, you know, whether you embrace it the path and accept the change, the new way of working, right? I've also seen developers who said, you know what, I want to, I am the principal developer, I want to be the principal developer, I don't want to be treated as a scrum developer on a team, you know, and good day to you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, I think uh, we want to kind of talk about, build on, you know, that sort of journey that a lot of, you know, people, you know, kind of in, in your field go through and how we can get them to get to that, you know, work and productivity level that I talked about before so that mm-hmm. the team is really just working together. But I think it's a natural place to, to take a break. And maybe do some plugs, Brandon. Yeah. How about that? How about yeah. the brand new and yet to be finished, however, website, which is agileafterdark.com. Dot com. And you'll go there. You'll see what we've got started. My daughter did the logo, which mm-hmm. we're working That's on really still. Cool. But we've got some things going there. Brandon's done a nice job of putting that all together. He is the the muscle behind the show. <laughs> um, it's it's flabby muscle. It's like Michigan. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. Michigan muscle. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's and, called beer gut muscle. So for those of you who listen to the it's podcast, this is a six pack. Know what that means. But um, <laughs> but we've got a brand new site. We've got um, also some emails that you can uh, you know uh, send uh, feedback to yeah. feedback at agileafterdark.com. I think there's a rants one for well, my yeah. Thing. It's, just, it's gaw gaw at gaw feedback at which agileafterdark. But we might need to like just have a rants one yeah because they may rant be ranting about hey everyone you two let regenda talk more yeah which i think will definitely be the case so we'll just have <laughs> checkbox at the beginning of you guys talk too much so yeah. so anyway give us your feedback yeah. um and visit the site and uh we're excited we've got about what eight eight nine episodes yeah. now in yeah. and uh we're gonna do more as we get as as apollo 13 studios becomes more uh, effective and more technologically, you know, sophisticated, we're going to do more stuff. So back after the break. <laughs> what? <laughs> you just told me it was going through no, the mics on no, the phone, the no, headphones no, thing. True. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> you change your story every 30 seconds. For fuck's sake. <laughs> good day, sir. I said good day. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we're going to go. We're really going to go. And you know, it normally takes us three times anyway. It does. It does. All right. 
Hey, Sass. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to App. App- <laughs> 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 So, welcome back to Agile After Dark. Uh, today's episode is called Cross-Function the Malfunction, Pair Up or Go Down. We're talking with Regenda Tella, who is our remote guest in our new technologically fancy Apollo 13 Studios. And, hey, before we get started, um, I, we should probably talk about the drinks that we are consuming. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, I think I just heard, like, some... Irritating noises <laughs> while we were trying to come back and transition. What was that all about? Yeah, that was from uh, Margaritu in uh, in true um, salute to uh, Regender being down in uh, Texas. Um, I decided to make a frozen margarita. Although I was thinking about you know bringing out some Colt forty five. Oh, really or mm. oh, Colt forty five for that. Uh, That's BD true. Um, or Lone Star. It's also ah, a nice yeah, yeah. Texas beer, yeah, right? Regen- here. Yeah, Regender, what are you drinking? I'm staying sober today, so this is Shiner Bach. This is ah. my favorite. It's, it's a Texan thing. I have to do it to feel that I'm in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and Regender is relatively new to the Austin area, so um, he's trying to fit in with the Texans. Good luck with that, <laughs> having uh, having. I'm half Texan, so I understand. I have to drink Shiner and then drive a truck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm doing. Oh, I've look. I've broken. From, no, I have not. I'm drinking uh, you went bourbon. Back. You went back. So I'm doing my usual bourbon thing. So, um, so where were we when we left off, Brandon? Yeah. So you know, we kind of were talking about some of the issues, you know, that we've seen uh, Regender, I think that story of kind of your journey was, was really illustrative of kind of some of the stuff that we see teams and individuals on teams are, are, are dealing with. Um, and I know that, you know, with those obstacles and with those issues uh, and with the, you know, the understanding that, you know, as you mentioned, you know, one person's taking a story off and they're just doing it on their own. And they, there's some inefficiencies there. Kind of what what are some of the approaches that, that you've seen that have been really successful in kind of really making the team more cross-functional uh, to, and eliminate that malfunction? Right. So pairing is one of the many techniques that, you know, that Agile teams have, right? So I'm going to focus mainly on pairing today, and then, you know, we can talk about other techniques if you would like, like more programming is another emerging technique, could be another topic for another day. Um, So pairing, what it is, is having two people work on one problem using one computer, um, I know, you know, we'll <laughs> I'm paying for two people to work on one computer. I already spent money on the second computer. Oh, God. Now oh, I got two really? computers. I got two people working on one. Co- what what the hell is going on? This is out of control, Regender. Help me understand. Okay, the business people, if, if you want me to write code, I could write crappy code any day. You know, you know, there's uh, there's a saying I really like this from Martin Fowler about anybody can write code that computers can understand, but very few people can write code that other humans can understand. It's it's an art, right? And the the you know techniques like pairing and mob programming that they're to help that we write good code 
that that can stay long and that can scale. You know, it can change with times, right? So I could, if if a business person wants a feature to be out the door fast, we could do it. Developers can do it any day, right? But we're talking about going slow so that we can go faster in the long run. So pair programming may seem slow in the beginning, um, but it actually helps the benefit, the main benefits of pay programming is having good quality code. You know, we are building quality into it, right? Um, and, and there is, you know, it's, you know, there is a myth that, you know, when, when, when you see two people working on one problem, we think of it, it's, oh, we're there duplicating the effort, right? It's not really duplicate. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I'm kind of curious, and I'm, maybe I'm going to jump the gun on Greg here, because this is normally the type of question he would ask. But, you know, you, you talked about two people working on one problem on one computer, but generally people, you know, are bringing different skills or have different experience and work in different things, Java or mainframe, as, as Greg mentioned. Like, is the expectation that every team member eventually will kind of get to the same skill level? Yeah, so when you introduce this pairing technique, you have that upfront investment of bringing that gap, right? Uh, bridging that gap between the skill set and technologies. But um, after, you know, it's, it's you are talking about few sprints, a matter of few sprints. We bring in that uh, that some level of alignment. And of course, you know, it's not going to be, you know, we having a principal developer pair with the uh, uh, in turn, you know, will not be an efficient thing in the beginning, but after you bridge that gap, you know, there, there are different patterns that you could follow, have same level of developer's pair. That's usually the recommended way. But I know there are companies that follow like a most radical approach that anybody could pair with anybody, right? Even though there is a, some upfront cost. I've I worked with a team that actually, you know, during coming in, in the first thing in the day, they would do put their names in a pot and then pick their names, and then that's how they pick up their pair, right? Whoever comes up as a pair, that that's like the most extreme yeah. pair programming, and I think that's like the highest level of maturity that I've seen. Um, but uh, going back to what you know, the 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 efforts, right? we said two people working on it. The the myth is about having. In a duplicating effort, but there are studies done on this topic. It's, it's not new. It's been there for decades. Um, so, so yeah. around like 1945, for instance, <laughs> there may be a study that's around 1945 that Brandon has come. He actually has come across that. He's just, you, and, uh, you, you want me to go back to the 1700s? Yeah. 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 He did that on one. So. Right. Um, so. In a, the, one of the signatory, Alistair Cockburn, and his team has done um, a study called the cost and benefits of pair programming. Um, what they came up with, they've done research um, interviews and they've done controlled experiments with teams that are practicing pair programming. And what they came up with, there's a increase of 15%, 1-5% of cost in uh, software development when they do pair programming. So it's not really doubling. Right, you're paying 15% more to get 50% more on quality. Right, so the, their study found out the defects rate dropped 50%. So you get you get that big return on investment. You're paying for 15%, but your quality is jumped by 50%, and you have a better design. 
um, and and a working two people working on it, it it improves the accountability of the code maintainability. So that's there use your you know immediate jump business person. Yeah. Well, yeah. Might, before you jump in though, it's kind of I'm kind of curious here because there's conflicting Greg's rants here, right? Team owns quality. You make me spend money. I don't want. I don't care. Like quality isn't. What does quality mean to me? As a business person, you can say, oh, we want to have quality code. I don't really care about quality code. I just want something delivered. I want to ship something. So how, how can you translate that to me? What, what, what I would love rather hear as a business person mm-hmm. is that you're building capacity for the team to have more skills to tackle more problems in a more effective way as opposed oh. to, cause quality, I'm, I'm not actually really disagreeing with you, but, but, people most business people and managers are like well yeah well quality who cares it's like what if the customer isn't complaining then why do i care about good code like they don't realize technical debt all those things but it's like they don't care so the argument for this approach is hard if you're saying well you just have better quality like i don't care about quality i want stuff shipped of course, you want to have stuff shipped, right? I can, you, you could make a quick decision now and then ship it fast today. But what we're talking about having a good quality code, you know, the other term that we use in the developer community is clean code. So having the clean code will help you maintain the same cost for each feature in the long run, right? If you don't, uh, the opposite side, if you have a poor quality code, you may get a, a, a feature done in, you know, say 80 points, 80 story points today. But if you don't maintain the code quality, the same feature would cost you a lot more than 80 points after six months or one year. So you're paying no matter what, either today or later, right? But having a clean code and maintainable code will actually give you the same developer productivity and you will get the same, you'll be able to maintain the same pace for releasing features to your customers. So maybe that's one of the, the, we transition into what's some of the obstacles to this pair programming thing. I think one is describing this to the business people so that they buy in because it is absolutely non-intuitive when you present this to somebody. It just doesn't make any sense because people are focused on, even if you can convince them to think about what a backlog means and what prioritization means, then you're like, oh, yeah, and we're going to throw a pair of programming on top of that. Oh, let's just add on to the fire where they all just went through this whole transition in their head. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you how do you how do we better describe what this is so that people can, you know, get a business people specifically can get an understanding of it? Yeah. You know, I hear things like, you know, OK, we just reorganized all our teams and maybe they didn't organize it very well in, in the way that we would traditionally look at it. Right. We have all our mainframe people over here. We have our infrastructure people over here. We have, you know, so that. You know, you kind of have the same skill base, but you kind of maybe probably hit a plateau to a certain level, right, mm-hmm. in terms of this. Of this. But then also, at the same time, we have, you know, teams that have multiple stacks within the team, right? So how do you deal with that if they're, like, dealing mm-hmm. in basically they, they really are siloed and they're saying, well, you're going to tell me that and we're vendors, right? right. Well, we have vendor stuff, too. How are we you supposed know, to jump across? That's a good point. Yeah, you know? it's, yeah, it's not just the quality alone, right? Mm-hmm. It's like having that collective code ownership of on a product right improving the skill set across uh, ac- across the team or across the organization right we also have this thing called truck factor right if you have like a developer that that like you can 
they'll give you a feature today, but what happens if he hit by a truck tomorrow? Right? <laughs> the knowledge of truck that's not what by the way by the way just so you know i thought there was some sort of i like i leaned in on that one i was like truck factor and i just wrote that down that's a good one truck factor so i thought you went from texas all of a sudden you're like all into trucks and that maybe that was where the reference is coming to but no it makes sense right so what happens if you if you get into that situation so pay programming and few other techniques help spread that knowledge across the team and across multiple teams. Um, and it's not that. And the, the study, going back to the study, that also revealed uh, they not only produce better quality code, um, spread the knowledge, but it actually makes the, the development enjoyable. People actually reported that they actually like coming to work. You know, talking about the human side of it, right? It, they they like coming. They they know their team members better, and the work environment become more enjoyable because of pair programming. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of interested in that part of it, uh, particularly from kind of the psychological learning standpoint of. You know, they they reported that they really enjoyed it. I know with our, the teams that I've worked in the past, there's been a lot on the team level. There's been a lot of buy-in. It's like, oh yeah, we need to be more, become more cross-functional. Um, but then, you know, it's kind of like that implicit memory of like, well, I just know this stuff and this is how I do it, and I can't explain why this is the way I do it, right? Versus kind of that explicit, you know, okay, we're having conversations, you know, and that's mm-hmm. how we kind of develop the memory and the, and the learning and so forth. I mean, that's kind of I'm curious uh, from your standpoint, gender is that, you know, what are some of the things that you've seen that really help kind of break through that initial hesitancy, you know, with, with, with you know, the, the literally sitting at the same computer? Is there, like, certain roles within that and, and how they work together? Well, hygiene totally. is well, one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, of course. Sorry, yeah. I missed for that. So let's put that right out there at the beginning, right? I'm not going to get a comment since we're in the same room. Okay. But. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we could use a foam wall. <laughs> <laughs> Just build a bottle of their team around every team. <laughs> uh, no, it's so this got a little bit, little bit more rules around it, right? The, the two people they have distinctive roles. The person who is at the keyboard is called the driver, and the person who is pairing with them called navigator, right? And they 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 need to change their roles very often, right? I think the most recommended is around 15 minutes because, you know, if you if you keep on just one person at the keyboard, the other person, you will start losing him, him or her after 15 minutes or you keep it longer, right? The shorter you have, the more engagement you get. And the, the way they engage, the driver and navigator is, you know, the left brain and right brain, right? So I heard you talk about, you know, one of the podcasts earlier, Brandon, right? The bra- left brain is very focused on the detail, right? You task at hand, you know, focusing on the parts of a system. And the right brain is big picture, the whole system view and, you know, looking at, you know, are we writing good code or is this duplicating or what's the maintainability of it, right? So and then there is a study about, Oh, you you can have uh, our human brain can only do left brain or right brain at a time. It can multitask both of them. And then the study said uh, there's only two percent two percent of people who could actually do that, right? And then you know I f- happen to fall in the other ninety eight percent of people. Um, 
So, so having a pair uh, practice actually brings that full mind to the table, right? So, you have both sets of minds at the table. Yeah. So, Regent, are you sure these studies you're citing are like my wife's study when she just wants me to do something? She's like, well, no, there's a study. And I'm like, well, I don't know about the study. Well, no, there's a study. You need to do this. And I'm like, I don't know about this study. Are you just like citing studies for no good reason? Or are these real studies? Like, I, I'm, af- I'm afraid to ever put you and Brandon together because it'll be like nerd. You make nerd a good pair. It'll, like re- it'll be like research central. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to get the links to those studies. Absolutely, yeah. You know, say Brandon and I are pairing, right? We we play this at driver navigator role thing, right? Uh, but we got to switch the pairs also, right? There is this, you know, I can't be pairing with Brandon forever, right? I'm, I'm going to be bored. I'm not going to learn anything new, right? I'm only sharing knowledge with Brandon, but I need to switch my partner at a certain time. Um, now, so with the time, so sorry, but are you, do you, do you finish a story first before you do that? Or are you, is it not story related? So story is one uh, pattern. So there are multiple ways of switching the, pairs right so uh, you could do time-based you say you know what for this day these are the pairing partners and then mm-hmm. come next day you have another partner or you could say like you said you know at the story level I, you are my partner for the life cycle of the story mm-hmm. or you know if if i'm introducing this to a new team that's have never done pair programming and they're not super comfortable i might have them start at a sprint level, it's a beginning of the sprint during a sprint planning event. Maybe let's say pick pay, pick pick your partner, and you are the pairs for for this for this sprint, right? Hmm. Um, and then come next sprint, you switch it. That that's the that's how I start it, right? And then the next level would be at a story level, but you know the most extreme I've seen is at the day level, right? You, they 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 do pair at the task level, and you got to have really good planning in place and your your uh, coding practices in place to actually make that context switch happen at the at the day or hour level right that's mm-hmm. what I've, I've seen you know this is going back to our old days you know the, the team that i was on 10 years ago we were actually doing it on a daily basis or task level um that that requires a lot of maturity to actually get there yeah it's kind of a, a like you said like like anything that we introduce to teams, right? You know, you kind of want to not overwhelm them. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at the same time, sometimes it is just like, let's just try this. It's, you know, you know, just make it difficult at the beginning <clears throat> rather than easing into it. I can see both both ways. So, you, so you're kind of against developer monogamy. I mean, monogamy. monogamy. Damn it. <laughs> we couldn't deliver that line. That's going to get edited out. Okay, go ahead. Developer polygamy. No, no. No, that's all I was going to say. I was just trying to make a stupid joke, and I couldn't deliver. <laughs> Screwed that up. He can't say his own name, and he can't deliver on a joke. Come on, that was a funny thing of the bit, and it's, <laughs> I screwed it up. Yep, yep, exactly. All right. All right. So, uh, a lot of those lines. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I may actually just stay in there. Uh, a lot of those lines. Let's uh, take a, a quick break, um, and... Uh, you know, Greg can, uh, you know, really plan out his gather myself <laughs> and just be ready to zing with it. So uh, send your feedback to feedback at agileafterdark.com and we'll be right back. So, um, 
swingers. It's like, oh, oh just yeah, hey, right. just pick your guy. Like, oh, okay. I'm gonna pick okay. my guy. Like, hey, you okay. know, I'm just like, like that's like. <laughs> That was the whole time I was thinking, you're like, well, you know, you some radical people just choose a different person every time. And some people just want to be with the same people. And I'm just like, what is it? Where is this going? What a rock. I don't know. There's that, I heard this story about in Arizona. There's this thing where it, like there was like supposedly, I'm sure it's like an urban legend. But there was like a swinger community in this subdivision. And if you wanted to be a part of the swingers, you put this purple rock out on the sidewalk. That was the story. I don't know if it's true. That was the story. So, so what we should do is like put a rock outside the team room. Yeah, like, it's like we're hey, open for fan programming. Whatever you want. I'm bored with this guy. I need some new action. <laughs> All right, uh, we're back from the break, and you know I think we've had a lot of good conversations today, right? In terms of you know the the way that we see teams evolve and kind of get where they need to get to. And I think, you know, some of those levels that I talked about at the beginning, you know, in order to really achieve that and kind of do that 20% concentration on how do we kind of improve ourselves, you know, this pair programming stuff really fits into that. And <clears throat> with some of the ch- challenges that we've, we've seen, you know, uh, uh, selling it to, to the managers, you know, Hey, Where's my utilization? Like, how? Wait. Oh, right utilization trade. Right. Yeah. I mean, data. I need reports. Yeah, I need my data. What's everybody doing? You know, and I've got 100% of two people, and I'm they're kind of like doing you know shared work and so forth. Right, left brain, right brain. I don't really care. But I think you know we've kind of talked through some of the benefits. But I, I am kind of curious in terms of you know what where we're going forward with, with pair programming, and you know are there ways for teams if they have some of those obstacles from the management side? You know, what are some of the ways that they can kind of do their thing to show the value? So here's why I will just step in and say Regender and I have a history of doing what we like to call kind of stealth projects or stealth agile, where we just went out and did it and proved, you know, the benefits and then showed it after the fact because there was too much resistance to convince somebody. And it wasn't worth the time, frankly, when the managers typically aren't that if they're any worth their weight, they're not that consumed with the day-to-day. So I don't know, Regender, if you have some ideas about how, if you're struggling with, you know, having a paired programming concept introduced into a team, how you might be able to approach that, um, you know, in a way that is less threatening to a manager who says, mm-hmm. don't stop wasting my time. Right. It, it may not be the managers, right? It could be the team itself, right? You won't ah, have, right? So, and I, what I've seen um, working is the low-hanging fruit, right? If I have, when I introduce a concept, if I have a couple of people who are on board, right, they started pairing, and you could immediately, the other members started seeing the interaction, the collaboration between the two people, and that that's like, you know that that's how the movements movement start right you have two people started doing it they're they're you know liking it they're producing better code and they're having fun and then the other people start saying oh you know what i should try that i should i should try that right you will you'll probably have another pair right you you may still have that you know one rockstar developer it may take months to get that person on board right but you at least have the momentum going on Right. So, uh, so would you say that the the two main obstacles are the rock star developer who's kind of the lone wolf doing my own thing, 
and then the management. Those are probably the two biggest obstacles you have. But if you can if you can somehow neutralize those two things, the teens typically like the concept and like working that way. Right. Yeah. We have, we have seen in a majority of the teams that we work with, you you will have some champions, right? You got to look at as a coach, you got to look at identify those champions who could who could be your change agents within the team. Right? It's like the ground up approach, right? Change and then start working with it. I love that. <laughs> a little edification there for you, Greg. <laughs> Excuse me. Well, uh, I think this is great, and I think you know, you you left us with a a, a lot to 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 think about, and and I know I'm going to be taking this stuff back to to my teams because you know, kind of that the way that you described, you know, how the pairing really works and those roles and kind of thinking about left brain, right brain, um, tr- you know, the truck factor. I'm definitely bringing that back with me, um, but. Uh, but yeah, you don't know, forget about developer monogamy. Don't, well, don't developer monogamy. Don't leave yeah. that out. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, it's it's evolving right now. Yeah. We see teams distributed now, right? So the, mm-hmm. uh, how do we do distributed pay programming? Uh, right? there's, there's a whole suite of tools around that, and you know, it's still like you know in the early phases of it, right? And then mob mob programming is I I like to see it as an extension of pay programming, right? If you can't sell pay programming, and you know, think of selling mob programming, right? You when you what have exactly the- is that? I mean, it's mobs just like multiple people just. And I smell it. I smell a different podcast coming yeah, out. Yeah, right, right. totally right. right. Exactly, it's the exactly. whole team concept, right? Yeah, yeah, I would love to chat about that sometime. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, well, Regender, man, you know, really good uh, having you on the show. Thanks for putting up with our technology discovery. You know, but you know, Houston, I don't think we have a corrupt problem anymore. We'll see. <laughs> no, it's, it's an honor. I, I like to be the first, right? I'm the first remote guest on yeah, Agile man. After Dark, right? Yeah, we'll definitely have you on again. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'll, uh, I'll bring my little model Millennium Falcon just to come. I was going to say, thanks, Lando. <laughs> thanks, Lando. <laughs> All right, but uh, everyone, uh, again, if you have questions, uh, Sass is telling you, just send it to. Feedback at Agile After Dark. And uh, if you want some additional rants, uh, send it to God, G-A-W, feedback at Agile After Dark. And we'll see you next time. What the hell is that? Mm. Brandon, we're recording. What? What are you doing? What? Brandon, we're recording. What are you doing? Hey, I'm making a margarita. He's making margarita. Oh, it's a margarita. Well, you know, priorities. Oh. <laughs>